Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you are watching for the first time or are simply catching up on a message you miss, we are so glad you are connecting to God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. May you be inspired by the word today. We want to do what we always do is honor God's word. So I ask you to stand out of respect for God's word as we go to it today and hear the words of Jesus. I would ask you to follow Pastor Michael. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 19 to 24. I'll read the first verse and you follow along. Do not store up treasures on earth where moth and eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is is there the desire of your, your heart will also be. Verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your, body, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that, that darkness? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Let's pray. And I'm asking today, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel said long ago, we pray now, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You're going to have a seat. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Now, let me just say this before we jump into today's word. First is that I want to encourage those of you that are still trying to figure out the new year and your patterns. We are committed as a church to create community and to grow spiritually together. If Wednesday nights are available for you, Wednesday nights is what we call open table. We have ministry for children, for students, and for adults. We eat at 5.30. We study at 6.30. We're out of here by 7.30. I would encourage you. If you have your Wednesday nights available to come on out, it is a great way to be at KCC rather than just on one Sunday. Please check that out. Second thing I want to say to you is that I, I think it's the first time I've ever done this. This is what I'd call a 911 SOS call. A 911 and an SOS call. What do I mean by that? We need help at our reception. You see, Karen has been an amazing servant here, and she's just had surgery on her knee, so she's out a while. And so immediately, we need help. Gail, who's in the second row, volunteers every Wednesday. But we need more volunteers. We need people to rise up. If you, if you can smile, and if you like people, if you don't like people, please don't, don't, don't engage this. But if you can smile, and you like people, and you like to answer phones, and you can help us with a few admin items, we really need your help like yesterday. And so... Can we do that, church? Can we, can we actually, it's weekdays, 9 to 4, Monday through Friday. You can do several hours, what have you, but we need your help right now. We want to be a church that's welcoming to all folks and to be able to be a church that's open and not, they don't get an answer machine like most churches that we actually have somebody live. Isn't that a good thing to have somebody you can actually talk to? Absolutely. And so uh, we need your help. That's my 911 SOS call. 
here's what I'd say. You can go to my KCC app to get info. You can call the church, but you can st- go straight out to the atrium. You'll see Pastor Trisha out there. She will be more than willing to engage you. I am confident that we'll have this filled up as of today. Anybody else agree with me? Amen. Thanks in advance for your help with that. We're in a series entitled Jesus in the Tough Stuff. And we survived last week. If Jesus is in the tough stuff, we were last week right there with my wife at my right hand side. And you actually came back after that week, so thank you. If you weren't here, well, God bless you. But nonetheless, let me just say this is that uh, my wife and I, by the way, we're good. Even though she's not here, she's visiting her mother this weekend. So you're like, oh man, they really got into it last week. She's not even worshiping with us this week. No, she's with her mother and uh, always trying to engage her parents. So thank you. We, as we look at this, let me back up and say, why in the world did I feel led by God to talk about Jesus and the tough stuff? The church is guilty as charged that we have not been authentic We've siloed Jesus in such a way that people can talk about Jesus in a Bible study, come to worship, and where the rubber meets the road, all of a sudden Jesus isn't engaged with us. For those that truly love him, know that he desires and needs to be engaged with every single area of our life, including the tough areas. Does anybody agree with this? Last week we said that it starts in our relationships, the closest one in marriage. So today we continue on. Jesus, and and let me just say this, Thank you, I think you desire this. If you don't, um, you haven't said it, but I appreciate the fact that you are okay, that you allow your pastor to talk about stuff that are tough, that you may not necessarily feel comfortable about, that you actually might feel challenged with. If that is true, can you say amen? Well, we're gonna continue on in that regard. You saw Jesus' words. Today, Jesus in the tough stuff, money. Oh my word, money. This sermon is, you may think about money, but it's really not about money. This sermon's about our heart. Money is just the topic that can destroy our heart. Now, I know already people are saying, wait a minute, I just invited such and such, and the first sermon they hear is a sermon on money. See, I, tell, I told you the church just wants my money. Let me tell you right now, this church doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus wants your heart. All right, let's just get that clear right away. So having said that, many preachers won't touch us with a 10-foot pole because they're afraid of what people will say. And number two is because it's offensive to most people. But I am convinced this is where the rubber meets the road. There are so many people who love Jesus and get everything that they want Jesus to do, but this one area and you wonder why you're not experiencing the fullness of God is because you have to give him every area of your life. Not just the areas that are convenient, not just the areas that you benefit, but every area of your life. So this is about our heart, and basically what I'm trying to say to you, this is very, very simple question. If you don't hear anything else, it's this. Two questions, or one question. Do you trust Jesus? Or do you trust the dollar? Do you trust Jesus? Or do you trust the dollar? Most of us would say that can hear my voice, well, pastor, I trust Jesus. Well, let me continue on. It says in scripture in 1 Timothy, I believe, 6.10, for the love of money, not money itself, 
But for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We are seeing the fulfillment of 1 Timothy 6.10 as we sit this moment. What do you mean, pastor? The love of money creates a root of many kinds of evil. Number one, modern day slavery. It is run because of the love of money. Well, how does that work, pastor? I'm not talking about the slavery we know in our own history. We're talking about people that literally traffic people around the world for cheap labor for the purpose of their own profit. My wife and I used to, with our kids, we would, uh, we would vacation every year in the city of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And I will say boldly and profoundly that, that many parts of that city were built on modern day slavery. Asians coming in with the hope, Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, Indians, Filipinos, coming in with the hope that they can make great money, getting just a few cents on the dollar, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, their passports taken from them. They make, the companies make incredible amount of money on the backs of the poor. That is what 1 Timothy 6.10 says. The love of money, not money itself, but the love of money itself creates a root of all kinds of evil. Does this make sense? The sex trade, a multi-billion with a B, billion dollar industry. I have been to Bangkok, I've been to Thailand, Bangkok, where the epicenter of the sex trade began. And it is difficult to impossible to stop because it is a billion dollar, along with pornography, you take this root of evil of this uh, uh, corruption and, and, and of issue of how we've walked out of scripture concerning this thing called sex, and you wrap it together with the love of money, and you have this thing called porn, and you have this thing called the sex trade, even our, our own country today. That's what the scripture's telling us. When this occurs, these are the consequences for it all over the place. The poor have been exploited over and over and over again from nation to nation because of the love of money. So I ask you again, what do you put your trust in? Is it a Jesus? Or is it money? Now, there are three kinds of beliefs that we run with. It's the, there's number one, public belief. That's the belief I want you to believe I believe. I want you to think I believe this. So I want everybody to believe that I believe and trust in Jesus. Then there's the private belief. The private belief is the belief that I think I believe. And I believe many of you said I, I trust in Jesus. You actually believe, think you believe that. But then there's also the core belief. The core belief is this. That's what you actually believe because that's the way you're living your life. So does your core belief actually match your private belief? And I would say to us, if we're truly being honest between God and ourselves, we struggle with that. You need to understand that we see that Christians themselves in America give only two to 3% of income only two to 3%. And, at, and here's the reality is four out of 10, nearly 50%. That is meaning nearly half of the people in this room and online never give. But, yes, but yet they say they trust in Jesus, not in the dollar. Your private belief is this, but is your core belief is what you really do. Only 27% of believers actually tithe. Only 27%. We have today more Americans filing for bankruptcy than having a college degree. 90% of all of the marriages that end in divorce, one of the major issues are money. We are upside down. 
Many of us are in debt such a level that we simply feel like we're drowning. We have more bills that we do what we actually make in our lives. And you may say, well, why are you talking about this, Pastor, this tough stuff called money? Well, you need to realize that Jesus spoke 15% of his time of all his teaching was on money. That's more than hell and the teaching on hell and heaven combined. Why? Because Jesus knew it was about the heart. What grabs our heart, we'll see in the scripture in a moment, is what's going to control us. The context of this passage is very simple that we just read. Jesus is calling us to a higher standard. Stop investing everything in, 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 in the earth, but invest in something that will last. Does that make sense to anybody? Anybody that understands investment, you want the best investment. You don't want to invest it and then lose it. Many of us will look at the stock market over and over again and watch the money that we lose or we watch the money that we win. That will not last, my friends. Jesus is calling us to a higher standard. And he's saying to us, there must be a definition of what your treasure is. A treasure is something that we delight in. A treasure is something that we hope in. A treasure is something that we are totally gained uh, our focus on. And he clearly says in this teaching that the heart shows everything. I wanna give you simply three simple principles from scripture that help us in this thing called money and our heart. The first principle is this. We are stewards, not owners. We are stewards, not owners. Can somebody say, repeat after me, say, it's not mine. Say it again, it's not mine. Now children, right? I mean, they don't have to be taught to say it's mine, right? As cute as they are, and one day, God willing, I'll have some grandkids. There's nothing like public pressure, is there? I'll be hearing that at lunch today, praise the Lord. But nonetheless, as cute as the grandkids and the kids are, you don't have to teach a child to say, it is mine. And what, G, what this principle is saying to us, we see in verses 19 and 20, show us that we must invest in something that will last. We must invest in something that will last. You see, the Old Testament, Malachi chapter three says, stop robbing God. Stop stealing from God. Bring the, the, the first fruit, the 10% of your harvest to God. Bring it in. Now I hear some people will say to me when I teach on this way, Pastor, you need to know that the New Testament teaching supersedes the Old Testament teaching. Therefore, the New Testament doesn't say 10%, so I'm free, hallelujah. You wanna go there? Okay, let's go. Matthew 19 clearly says 100% is God. You wanna go back to Old Testament? Here's what you need to realize. It is all his. Now, here's what I wanna clearly say to you is, and there are people that are not followers of Jesus that actually give, lots of them. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, what is your motive for why you do give? If you're only giving so that you somehow feel good, and you can actually have, by the way, believers can actually have pride in their giving. And so somehow you feel good about yourself, that's not the motive for why you give. You give because it's called unto you by God, but many people will give simply because they feel obligated or they feel that uh, it's something they have to do, but you need to understand money is a test from God. Who will you serve? Will you serve Jesus or will you serve money? He says in verse 24, we read it, you cannot serve both. Mark my words according to Jesus. You will serve one or the other. You can't have it both ways. 
You can't be schizophrenic when it comes to service. You will either serve one or the other. And you and I have to come to the point of understanding in this tough stuff, where do we actually fall? And Old Testament talks about the first fruit. What in the world is that? I'm not a farmer. First fruit is bringing the best. When the harvest comes in, you bring the first and the best to God, right? We know early on in Genesis that Cain brought his offering to God and God rejected it because he didn't bring what? The first fruit, the best. His brother Abel brought his best in and then Cain becomes jealous and he kills his brother. You see where this takes us. It brings out all these other aspects of evil when we miss it and what God is saying to us. Proverbs 3, 9 clearly tells us, commands us to honor God with our possessions. They are a gift from him. How do you honor God with what God has entrusted with you? You see, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter four, I love his, his commentary. He says this, because Paul's been in all situations. He said, I've learned what? To be content when I've had all, I've had it all. I've learned to be content when I've had nothing. Because my contentment is not whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. My contentment is in Jesus Christ. Question is, if everything is stripped from you, everything is taken away, will Jesus still be enough? Don't leave there. If everything were taken away as it was from Job, would Jesus still be enough? Do you trust him that much? The key point is this. I'm a steward. That basically means this. Nothing is mine. I'm only entrusted with it. I'm only a steward of it. Nothing is mine. But you may say, wait a minute, pastor. I worked hard for what I have. I've gone to school and I work many hours. So everything I have has been good work. And that's an American culture. That is what we've been taught. But let me ask you a question. Who gave you the breath that you breathe? Who gave you the talent that you have? Who gave you the health that you have? Who gave you the job that you have? And who gave you the place that you live that gives you the opportunity that you have? It is not yours. Your family, are you looking up this way? Your family is not yours. Your kids are not yours. Your spouse is not yours. Your money is not yours. Your time is not yours. Your future is not yours. This church is not yours. It's all been entrusted to us for a season. Once we understand that, it's a whole lot easier to trust in Jesus than in this. Does this make sense to anybody? You're just a steward. You don't own anything. That's a great way to serve Jesus once we realize it's not mine. Let me give you the second principle, it's simply this. Giving breaks the spirit of mammon. Giving breaks the spirit of mammon. Somebody say, I'm ready. Say it again, I'm ready. If you don't know the biblical text, mammon is another word for money. And Jesus, again, going back to verse 24, which spirit do you have? <laughs> do you have the Holy Spirit controlling you or the spirit of money. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? We're talking about the spirit of money. Ephesians chapter six says, we all have a temptation and a, and a propensity towards spiritual strongholds in our lives. And one of those spiritual strongholds can be, and for many people is, the issue called money, the spirit of money. Uh, explain more, Pastor. 
Well, for example, some of us have been raised in a horrible uh, experience as an example. We've been hurt, we've been abused, and we've experienced terrible things. And in all of that, we have a choice. Are we gonna have healing and continue on with our life? Or will we have unforgiveness rule our lives because of that stuff we never asked for? And if we don't forgive, the stronghold of unforgiveness then controls our lives. That same stronghold spiritually, if this is what we trust in, starts to control our lives even if we don't know it. Most people who have strongholds, spiritual strongholds, according to Ephesians 6, don't even know they have them. They don't even know they have them. And then they wonder why they struggle and why God doesn't seem alive and well. I know that I know some of you listening to my voice today, God seems distant and aloof and your prayers are cold and you wonder why. I think one of those possibilities is called spiritual strongholds. The spirit says, the spirit of money says, you don't need God. You don't need God. I'm reminded in Luke chapter 12 of the rich fool. That rich fool that Jesus gave in that parable is really the people in the United States of America. He was really, really talented according to the parable and whatever he put his hands to, he made lots of money. And as a result of making lots of money, what did he do? He allowed greed to overcome him, the spirit of money. So he built more barns and more barns, the parable says in Luke 12. And he had so many barns and he wasn't, and it was full of all of his stuff and he was rich beyond counting. And here's what happens. He loses his life that night and God says, you fool, you invested in something you can't keep. Instead, he says in Luke 12, why don't you be rich in God? And what we realize is the reason why Jesus says to give, it breaks the spirit of money or the spirit of mammon. It breaks it down. It's the antidote that moves us forward. You see, the spirit of pride says this, I, I'm the one that has earned my wealth because of my hard work. The spirit of poverty says that wealth is from the devil. Let me make it clear to you this morning that it doesn't matter where you stand economically concerning the love of money. I've had people from all of my experiences and I have friends on the spectrum. I have people that have so much money they can't, they don't need to count it. I got people that have no money whatsoever all around me who in certain countries live in a tent. And here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter with those two extremes where you fall into it. What matters is what your desire is because poor people and rich people and middle class people and upper middle class and lower middle class, all the levels can have the same problem. They desire more of this and this will overtake your life. Doesn't matter where you stand. You see, the examples of breaking the spirit is very simple. There's an example in scripture in Luke 9. Do you remember Zacchaeus? And he has an encounter with Jesus. And if you know anything about tax collectors in the Middle East, specifically Zacchaeus exploited the poor and he got rich off the back of poor people. He has an encounter with Jesus. And after he's transformed in his heart, what does he do? He gives and breaks the spirit of mammon and gives back four times the amount that he took from the people. And he's freed. Does this make sense to anybody? Do you remember the early church in Acts chapter four? 
Those who had resource sold a lot of what they had and they brought the, the money into disciples' feet and then they spread the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the money around in such a way that there was no need amongst them. It was them being able to be transformed. But then there's the opposite side of those who don't. In, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, uh, Jesus tells a story, comes an encounter with a man that if we were to modernize it today was the Christian that we all would model ourselves after. He was, he was good with all the law. He, he did all the right things. He had the checklist. And if we looked at his life, we we're like, that, if that's a Christian, he's it. And then Jesus loved him and loved him so much that only this individual and Jesus knew there was one thing, one thing that he lacks is that he has this between him and Jesus. Even though he does everything else well, he's missing the most important thing. And Jesus says to him, what? Sell what? Everything you have. Because in his situation, if he holds on just to a little bit, it will overcome him and that spirit will overcome him. And what do we see happening in the story? The man walks away, what? Dejected. He walks away dejected because he says, I'll do everything you want about this faith and journey, but you're not gonna touch this, this is personal. That's siloing Jesus. That's saying, you know what? You can go into all these other areas of my life, but this is my life. Then you never will experience the fullness of what it means to follow him. That's why later on in that passage, when the disciples were blown away by this encounter, and he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle then a rich man entered the kingdom of God. What in the world is he saying? Well, I've been to Israel and there's this little passage called the eye of the needle. And you would literally have to crawl underneath it to get in or get through it, which means a huge, massive camel would be almost impossible to get through the, this entrance way. And Jesus is saying yeah, clearly to them, this is what the spirit of mammon will do. It will destroy you. It will bring you into false security. It will make you think that all things are right, but at the end of the day, you will stand before God clearly just as this man did, and you will make the decision, will I follow Jesus or will I follow the mammon? You see, once we follow this and understand this, verse 19 here declares, your heart will be there wherever I focus. You see, we did this thing called, uh, it's time to give, and everybody cheered, like, what's that all about? That's 2 Corinthians 9, 17. Give joyfully or cheerfully unto the Lord. You can't fake that. You can't manipulate that. That comes because you already understand that I trust in Jesus, not in money. It's not mine in the first place and I continue to give it away so that I can be free from this spirit. Does this make sense to anybody? The key point is simply this. You were created to give, not to consume. You were created to give, not to consume. The first principle is simple. Nothing is yours, it's all his. The second principle, God wants you to give so you can break this spirit of mammon that every single one of us who can hear my voice, we are all tempted by it. There's not one person that's not tempted by it. And the only way you could break it is by continuing to give. The question is whether we trust that he will do what he says. The third principle is very simple. If we do the first two, the third principle becomes a reality. God multiplies our giving. God multiplies our giving. Somebody say multiply. multiply. Say it again, multiply. multiply. And we see here in Matthew 6, it encourages us to store up treasures in heaven and all the benefits that come from them. 
Do you remember in Luke chapter 9 after Jesus preaches and there's 5,000? That's just the men as we know. And so when you count the wives and the kids, we're talking 10 to 20,000 people that are in need of food, right? And it's impossible because there's no food, but it took one individual willing to step out, a little boy with fish and a loaf of bread. And what did God do? He multiplied the bread. But if he had never stepped out, there would never have been a multiplication. Somebody had to step out, even though they thought my giving was really going to be insignificant in comparison to theirs. But he understood completely what that was all about. And it's, nothing can be multiplied until it's actually given. Does this make sense? I love the story in scripture, Exodus chapter 36. This is hilarious. You gotta look at this later. Exodus 36 verses five and seven, Moses is about to build the tabernacle and the tabernacle represented the presence of God, that God was with us, the blessing of God, the approval of God. So when Moses said, we're building the tabernacle, everybody in Israel was pumped and excited. We're gonna have a tabernacle where God was going to be. And so he said, but the only way we can build this tabernacle is gonna take all of us so I want all of you to bring your resources so the workers can, and the builders can build the tabernacle. Do you know what happened? They brought so much stuff, catch this, so much stuff that the workers came to Moses and said, tell the people to stop. We don't need any more of their stuff. You read it, I'm not making a, this is not a hyperbole, you read it. Exodus 36, five and seven. Tell them to stop. Have you ever seen a church in America say, hey y'all, stop giving. This is exactly what happened in the Old Testament when a group of people get it and they come together collectively as one and my $5 or my $5,000 or my uh, $1 and my uh, $1,000, together collectively we can do what God wants us to do. It all counts and it all matters and God multiplies it. Does this not make sense to anybody? Now the challenge is this. It's called worry. Pastor, I want to... I want to trust Jesus. I want to trust Jesus and not end the dollar. But let's get real. I got bills and I got all these things that are screaming at me today. And so I'm just gonna have to put God in the, uh, later on and try to figure it out. How's that working out for you? Jesus said clearly that the birds of the air don't worry and they don't store in barns. And he says the lilies of the field, they don't labor and spin and look at their beauties. He says, and the pagans, they run after all these things. But he said what? Matthew 6, seek first the what? The kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen? Worry is a cousin of trust. And you usually have one or the other and they kind of connect with one another, but I trust God that he actually is who he says and his, true, his principles are true. You see, I love the story in Luke 21, you, which you're familiar with. And Jesus is with his disciples and they come into the temple and you have all these people giving their tithe and people with lots of money were given in. And then a lady walks in in her poverty and she gives her last penny, her last mite. And what does Jesus say about this lady? She will be remembered from this day forward, right? And it's multiplied. Now here's, and, and why will she be remembered, Jesus said? Because she gave out of her poverty. As Americans, I would say to you, it's very difficult for us to give out of our poverty because we have so much. 
We can't even relate to Luke chapter 21. It becomes very daunting and challenging for us to actually understand this. But what I would say to you is this. Sure, you may never have poverty, give out of your poverty, but you can give sacrificially. What do you mean, Pastor? I can give up something in order to give to something that is eternal. I can give up a purchase or a trip or whatever, and I can say, I'm, God has led me, I'm giving this up so for something that will last. Let me illustrate it in two ways. Number one is that when my wife and I lived in the Middle East, there was a refugee family that was in a location and they were kicked out. We had a house church. And so they were attending our house church and they came to our house church and they informed this small house church that they had been booted out of their location as refugees and the, they had three small children at the time and they were living in their car and it was in the winter season. I knew that I, um, with my missionary salary, could easily be able to provide for their, uh, their rental wherever we could put them in. But I wanted this to be an opportunity for a poor church to figure this out. Without saying anything, you know what they did? They practiced like the woman's might. They came together and they collected above their tithe to the, to the church. They gave and created $50. You may think that's not a big deal, but when you're poor, $50 is a lot, even collectively. But they did that for six months, providing this family with a place to actually live. Do you know that today that family, their children are grown? All three kids are the set first it's the first time in that Muslim country, it's the first generation, they're now adults, that were raised by their converted parents and it was because partially the church was a church that was gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus when they were kids, realizing they were cold in a car, but the church truly was the church and they said, this Jesus must be real and they started following him and today now they have kids and we're going to the third generation that prior was uh, Muslims but today are followers of Jesus. It's not overcomplicated, my friends. And some of you will sit in here and say, well, wait a minute, I gotta wait until my finances are all straight and I got just enough. And I'm here to declare to you, it never is that, it never works that way. When I was in seminary, I was what? I was a poor seminarian. I was on what they call the five-day plan because I didn't have enough money for the seven-day plan. That's called food, right? So I was on my own and I worked in the dish pit and I made $50 a month and that $50 gave me gas money and gave me enough money for going to Sam's Club so I could buy the big jars of peanut butter and the big jars of spaghetti because spaghetti is cheap and all of that. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, one, uh, as, and then as I did that, here's what I realized. I said to God, my, my sister, my twin sister and her husband, they were working Youth for Christ in Indiana at the time. And I, God told me, I want you to give $10, 10 of that $50 to them every month. I said, Lord, that's my Sam's Club. And I want you to know that I, by practicing that early on when it was sheer sacrifice, it helped me as I got older. Does this make sense to anybody? The crazy thing is, I gotta tell you the end of the story to that. I, say, I think I've said it to you before, but I'll say it to those who haven't heard. There was a weekend that I had completely run out of money and I was having a pity party for myself. Do you remember the story? And I was in the dish pit feeling sorry for myself. I'm like, man, I like to fast, but I don't like to fast when I have to. Come on, Lord. <laughs> and I remember it was, I, I finished washing the dishes and it was like seven o'clock and I went down feeling sorry for myself. And as I went to my room, my Bible was open and a gentleman who I'd met like two days before had come to visit me, but he missed me. And he, he had written in my Bible, he'd opened up the, to the, the call of Jeremiah and he had underlined and he said, God, has called you, and he put it, and there was a $100 bill in my Bible. I'll tell you what, I ate better than Sam Club that week, and I can tell you that. <laughs> but my point is simply this, 
You never know how God, many of us never experience that because we're not willing to trust Jesus. We think here, after I get it all figured out, but the problem is we never get it figured out. Does this make sense to anybody? When Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven, let me illustrate it this way, where it will last for eternity. If I take this rope, and this rope, even though it doesn't, just for the sake of the illustration, let's say this rope, as long as it is, it represents eternity. And I've, said, I've done this illustration before, but I want you to see what I mean about our investment. And let's say that each one of these threads right here, each one of these threads, this small little thread represents a million years. So you've got gazillions of years this way and gazillions of years that way. And then right here in the middle of this thing called eternity, here's my little life. And if I'm lucky, I can get to 90. And it's just a blip. What does the Bible call it? You're just a, a vapor that's here today and gone in the morning or in the afternoon. You're here and you're gone. The older you get, how many say amen to that? But here's what we do. We're, we're fooled by the spirit of mammon. And we're fooled by thinking, I'm going to put all my lot right here. Everything right here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. What are the things that will last? Two things. God's word and people. So let's invest in God's word. Let's invest and love people. And now we are storing up treasures in heaven. What are you doing with your little blip? Are you trusting in Jesus? Or are you trusting in this where he says, moth and rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal? Where are, you, where, are you, where, are you, where are you putting it at today? It's tough stuff. I'm convinced that we won't be five minutes in heaven when we'll stand before Jesus and we'll feel horrible that we, we lived as paupers in Christ while we were here. We missed it all. We were deceived. We bought fool's gold. And he's like, you missed it. And I'm here to tell you the truth so that you can be all that God wants you to be. How many truly want their core, to, core belief be that I trust in Jesus? You truly want this to be every area of your life, every area of your life. And yet, I'm not here to try to get KCC's giving up. I'm here to tell you about your heart, that you truly can be all that God wants you to be. And this area is one part of many areas that we talk about every week. Does this not make sense to anybody? So, as it relates to giving, I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's usually called, the, I call them the three T's. Are you a tipper, a tither, or a trustee? If you're only giving two to three percent of income, you're a tipper. And you're not giving joyfully, you're doing it because of a guilt or obligation. And man, that's nasty. It's not the way it's supposed to be, right? The tither, they give 10%, but then they park their brain and say, I'm done. Sorry, done in there. The trustee is the where you're supposed to be. Nothing is mine. What do you want me to do today, Lord? Right? Uh, I'm ready for this and I'm ready for that. that and then I can full experience John 10.10 10, that I'd have life to its full. Knowing that I'm investing in something that matters. And it doesn't matter the amount or your economic ability. What matters is your heart. Does this make sense? I want us to be a church to understand that God is somehow, somehow not obliged to bless you. He's simply because you give a certain amount of money. You are blessed because you are obeying and the intimacy of God will then be a part of who you are. That's the blessing of God. Can I get an amen? The key point is God is waiting to give us more than we could ever imagine. Give it away and trust him. I dare you. I double dare you. You'll be in a minority 
The vast majority will walk away from here and go, I'm glad that sermon's over with. But it's not my responsibility. I will take you back to the book of James. Blessed is the one who, uh, don't be like the person who listens to, the, or hears the word of God and doesn't do what it says. He's like the person who goes and looks at his face in the mirror and immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. But blessed is the one who hears the word of God and does what it says. He or she will be blessed in all that they do. This wasn't a talk on money. This was a talk about my life. And I'm saying he wants every area of your life, every area. And until we surrender every area, will we understand the fullness of what Jesus means in our life? Does this make sense to anybody? Yeah? May God help us with this. Let me just say this in last before I close, and that is this. Some of you are like, okay, pastor, you opened up a can of worms. Uh, I'm a mess. I don't know how to deal with money. I got debt. I'm upside down. I'm drowning in all of it. I'm here to tell you that we are starting a class in two or three weeks on Wednesday nights at that open table. And we got people that are committed to help you. What does the Bible say about money? Because everything for us is the Bible, right? What does the Bible say? How to get you to budget, how to get you out of debt, how to get you to be a person of integrity as it relates to tithing, moving you down the road so you experience the fullness of God. I would say to you, if you are truly serious about this, don't just say, Lord, here am I. Say, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice and come to these Wednesday nights and learn and grow and be the man and the woman that God wants me to be. You can go to my KCC app and sign up. You can go back there and you can see Pastor Tricia. She talks about the reception desk. She's also out there for this class I, right out in the atrium. That's my next step for you. Many of you need to do this, but the question is whether or not you will. For whatever reason, I wanna be God's man or woman in all things. What about you? Anybody with me? Talking about Jesus and the tough stuff's not always easy, but that's the reality of our lives that Jesus wants to go there, and I'm asking that we would be willing to go there. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? Lord Jesus, I pray that right now you would bless our time and our closing here, that you would enable us to experience all that you want us to experience, that we could truly be people that, are not, that involve you in every area of our lives, not just the areas that are convenient, not just the areas that we somehow um, benefit from, it, but even the tough areas that we sometimes don't think that you should be involved with. And I pray now that you would hear my cry for my brothers and sisters, that they would truly be able to say yes to you, whatever their situation is, whatever their um, reality becomes. I pray that today you would give them exactly what they need right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, with, with, uh, would there be anybody with a raised hand say, Pastor, God has spoken to me, and would you pray for me? Keep your hands up so I can see. Anybody, all over, keep them up. There should be a lot of people because this is tough for almost all of us, right? Almost every single one of us struggle with this area. By raising your hand, you're saying, Lord, I wanna be accountable to you. Hear my cry. I wanna be accountable to you. Lord, see these hands right now. Would you give them exactly what they need? Give them the courage to move forward, to be all that you want them to be. I lift them before you right now, and I'm grateful that you hear our cries. I pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said.